following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. So welcome everybody to our introductory course on the studies of spirituality within all traditions. In this type of study, we emphasize that the human being, as he or she is now, has the potential to become something more, something greater and profound. Contrary to conventional belief that the human being as we are now is the epitome or the peak of potential. We state that this is a false assumption. Every tradition in the world has taught or been delivered by all the messengers of divinity, no matter what the tradition. We study in this school all of the teachings of these different faiths, primarily because we want to look at the heart, the essence of spirituality, because it is universal. It is one intelligence, one type of understanding that expresses in accordance with the needs, the language, the culture, the qualities of the students, the time and place in which those teachings were given. But if you really look at the heart of what yoga teaches, Buddhism teaches, Judeo-Christianity, or whatever faith, we find that at the heart there is a science by which one can achieve what people call religion. The word religion in Latin means reunion, religari. In the East, it is yoga, from the Sanskrit yug, to reunite. And all these traditions have taught that the human being is a seed, has potential to become something truly divine and magnanimous, beautiful, 
Different religions call this seed consciousness. The Buddhists call it Buddhadhatu, the seed of a Buddha, an awakened one, a master. The Christians and Muslims and Jews have called it soul. And there are many names for that quality of being in those faiths. In this study, we call it the essence. It is the pure potential to reflect divinity. And this is something that we can experience for ourselves when we know the science of meditation and when we practice it. We can develop that potential in ourselves and have the experience of what different traditions have called divinity. That knowledge amongst the Greeks was called gnosis, but not intellectual knowledge. A lot of people in the West, especially in academies, like to think that gnosis was isolated to the first Christians. But that experiential wisdom of knowing divinity has nothing to do with theory, with believing, with a concept. It is what we know by experiencing the awakening of our essence. These are very vivid experiences which have been allegorized in all the scriptures. You have Moses on Mount Sinai. You have Krishna, like in this image, manifesting all of his qualities to the meditator known as Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. You have many faiths many stories, the Greek mysteries, the Buddhist teachings. They are all symbols of internal truths. It is not literally that Moses went on a physical mountain and saw God, that it was a physical experience. It's a spiritual and psychological experience, something we witness in meditation inside. And we can verify these things for ourselves through experimentation, through practice. And therefore, we don't need to believe in anything to follow an institution, a religion, a dogma, a belief system. We like to be very practical in this type of studies. But of course, it is a very difficult thing to do. It is not easy to experience divinity, to conquer in ourselves the causes of suffering. To understand that which in our own life really conditions and makes us suffer. Because there is a reason why we may not know God now, or divinity, or Brahma, Christ amongst the original Christians, which is not a person. It's a type of consciousness that is universal, which different traditions called by different names and have been symbolized by all the beautiful paintings of any tradition. These are not literal people. These are qualities of being. And in this image, we see the Lord Krishna, who is the Hindu Christ, that divine consciousness that is not personal to just one individual, but is universal to all beings. We see that he is a child seated with one hand facing up, the other down. And he is surrounded by millions of figures. This is a beautiful painting about 
the experience of the meditator Arjuna who asked Krishna, I want to see you in your true form. Show me in my consciousness, in my meditations, what you are. And then Krishna, or divinity, manifested in a form of images. Not physical images, but images we can see in meditation or in dreams. And so this is a very beautiful experience that was depicted in this scripture. And you see that all these multitudes of figures represent all the universal qualities of divinity, which are inside. Compassion, divine love, selflessness, patience, compassion. But to really develop these qualities in us is not easy. If it were easy, then all of humanity would be a very different state of being. This planet would be a very different place. So this indicates to us that these qualities are not developed in a permanent sense, are not realized in our own daily life. And so in the studies, we like to be very practical. We like to analyze certain methods of meditation that teach us how to have that experience and how to develop and maintain that state. I'm sure any one of us who studies any type of meditation or is attracted to religion or any type of faith, they really deep down want to have that experience. They want to escape suffering. And so this difficult path of meditation has been discussed in all religions. It is not easy to confront in oneself negative states like anger, resentment, pride, fear, laziness, lust, desire. And all traditions teach that it is these negative qualities of mind that trap us. They enclose our potential in a state of, or in a static state. It is not active because in us, that potential is not active or developed. It has to be freed. It has to be worked upon very intentionally. So in the beginning, some people practice meditation and they may have an experience seemingly by accident. But the reality is that there are certain causes and conditions that brought about that state. One may not be aware of how and why. Some people call this spiritual awakening, insight. It happens. But if we want to be permanently established in that state, it's important to put forth the causes and the conditions that produce that reality in a permanent way. So this is called self-realization amongst the Hindus. The realization of our true identity, which is divine. It is the awakening of consciousness. But of course, developing that is challenging, primarily because of the difficulty of our own conditions of mind. Which is why in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 7, verse 3 states, Among thousands of men, or women, practitioners, one perchance strives for perfection, to realize that perfect divinity inside. As Jesus of Nazareth stated, be perfect as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Even among those successful strivers, those who are 
really working to experience that truth. Only one perchance knows me in essence. So again, these are levels of consciousness. I believe even the 14th Dalai Lama stated that consciousness has the potential to expand to an infinite degree. So there are levels of knowledge, levels of understanding. And this tradition, or this statement, has been paralleled in the Christian gospel by Jesus, who was an incarnation of Christ. He manifested that divinity in himself. And with his life was allegorizing certain steps and stages about the spiritual path. He also said, enter by the narrow gate. Enter into the meditative path that awakens your full potential, your seed, your essence of soul. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to spiritual life. And those who find it are few. Think of an analogy of a tree. A pine tree has thousands and thousands of seeds. And yet how many of them actually become a full tree when they land on the earth? You may have a handful, one or two, a few. So spiritual development is no different than nature. Things happen progressively in steps when the causes and conditions are ripe. In order for a seed to develop into a a pine tree, it needs water, it needs appropriate soil, it needs sunlight. It needs the conditions that give birth to that full development of a tree. But of course, many seeds are lost. And this is the sad reality. Our true potential is not a guarantee that it will develop into something fully perfect and divine. And this is very evident by the state of humanity today. We can look on the news and simply see the state of crisis in which people are afflicted. Wars, violence, acts of destruction which are truly horrendous. It is evident by the state of our culture and this planet that people are not developing the seed of their spirituality. It is a difficult fact to realize. It's very unpleasant. If that seed were fully manifested and developed, there would be no wars because divinity is compassion. It is love. So it's evident that this seed of humanity is not generating into a tree. It is degenerating. It is not being developed. And so any person who looks at the news and feels that horror of what this planet is in evidently feels inspired to want to know the reason why. And as well to escape that type of destruction, which is very prevalent. And so how do we develop that seed? There are beautiful stories in many scriptures that can teach us about that development. The Bible is one of them, which is a very misunderstood text, read very literally. 
dogmatically. People don't understand that scriptures like the Bible are telling parables, they're stories. They represent principles and truths which are psychological, spiritual. You have a very famous statement in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 3 to 2, about the development of that perfect seed, how the seed of a human being can become a god, an angel, a Buddha, a deva, a jinn, whatever name we want to give to that fully self-realized and perfected individual. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Individuals like Jesus or Krishna, Moses, were once like us, a seed. But because of the certain discipline of mind and training, they became the individuals that we emulate and which millions of people follow who are inspired. And we like to think in this culture or even for thousands of years that those were just exceptional people that had nothing to do with people like us. That somehow they received the grace of God and were able to have those experiences, which is true to a degree. But the reality is that they worked to become that. They were once like us, people afflicted by fear and distress and anxiety and suffering. But because of their tremendous compassion and their work ethic, they were able to become enlightened beings. And like a tree they can house through their teachings and their instructions, all of the birds of heaven, all of the saints, all of the students of meditation who really want to become like that. You have many myths and stories throughout the world that teach and allegorize, whether in art or religious scriptures, stories that all teach the same thing, that we are a seed. We could become like divinity into a fully developed Christmas tree. If you're familiar with the Christmas tradition or the Christian tradition, people like to decorate a pine tree with many stars and globes and luminous objects and a star at the very top. It's a very ancient symbol of this concept. The seed of the soul became a fully developed master of meditation and has lights illuminating that tree. It's a symbol of what we can become. And it's performed on the nativity of Christ, the birth of Jesus, who symbolizes the birth of divinity in our hearts through practice and specific methods. There's a very ancient teaching in the Aztec and Mayan religions that also point towards this concept Samael and Vior, who is the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition of which we study, wrote in a book called The Great Rebellion. One codex of Anahuac, which is an ancient Aztec scripture, states that the gods created humans of wood. And after having created them, 
fuse them with divinity. But later adds, not all humans achieve integration with divinity. So what does it mean that the gods made people made of wood? Very interesting concept, which anthropologists like to laugh at and read literally, thinking these are very superficial people or ignorant people who believe that literally people were made of wood by the gods. Unfortunately, that misses, that materialistic viewpoint misses the point. There's something symbolic here. Even in art, amongst the Greco-Roman tradition, Renaissance art, European art, they reflected these concepts in their images. But people who are very materialistic like to think that God is a person, physical. They don't understand that it is a representation of something spiritual and conscious, psychological. This is the creation of Adam in the Sistine Chapel. A beautiful symbol of the development of or creation of the soul. Some of you may be familiar with a story called Pinocchio, which also hides this truth. It was written by Carlos Collodi, who was an Italian author and wrote about the story of a wooden boy that wanted to become a human being. It's a symbol. His writing was intentionally veiled in the form of a children's tale so as to avoid persecution. He was writing for a very select group of people who were studying this type of knowledge, this type of knowledge, that was at the time forbidden to unveil or convey, primarily because people would not understand it and would create problems. Because this type of thinking goes against the grain of institutionalized dogma. We can only think of the Inquisition as an example. So Pinocchio, Pinocchio or Pinocchio, is the Tuscan Florentine word for pine nut or pine seed. It's a symbol of us. We are a seed in a potential state that may want or feel inspired to become a fully developed human being, a person of flesh and bone, a fully developed being, a spiritually enlightened one. There's a lot of teachings in that story which are very beautiful and profound, symbolic. And if we read it from the knowledge of three types of science, we can gain a lot of understanding. Those three sciences are known in different cultures and traditions which we study in synthesis here. The word esoteric means secret, hidden, that which has not been taught publicly. And so these esoteric sciences, while some aspects of these traditions have been conveyed to the public, they were never fully explained until very recently through the effort of many authors throughout different traditions, such as the Western esoteric tradition, the Golden Dawn, Rosicrucianism, Theosophy of Blavatsky, Rudolf Steiner's writings from Anthroposophy and many other teachings. So we study these three sciences called Kabbalah, alchemy, and psychology in order to develop our full potential. 
Kabbalah and alchemy in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament are called the tree of knowledge or the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. These are symbols. Practical methods and ways of study that can awaken the seed and develop it. These are not literal trees in the Middle East that people think a single man and a single woman existed in a garden in Mesopotamia many millennia ago. It's a very literal teaching or interpretation. What people don't recognize is that these sciences permeate all of the language of the Bible. But because people have not been instructed about the symbolic nature of those types of teachings, they, of course, read it like a newspaper. They don't really see the real value and depth of that instruction. So Kabbalah is the tree of life. This is Hebrew letters read from right to left. The word kabel in Hebrew means to receive. You may have heard many Jews study Kabbalah in this time. Real Kabbalah, in its spiritual sense, is knowledge that we receive from divinity, from direct experience. We can study Kabbalah intellectually and read books, but it doesn't equate with the actual personal verification of meditation for ourselves. So Kabbalah is a beautiful teaching that is symbolic and helps us understand all the parables and stories of the Bible. Because the Hebrew letters themselves represent numbers, which are spiritual. They represent things, qualities of consciousness. And these letters also represent qualities of soul, which we study very didactically in our courses of Kabbalah, which we have on our website, chicagonosis.org, or you can study also on gnosticteachings.org. We also have the science of alchemy, or the Arabic alakimia. The word al or el in Hebrew is God. Kimia is a Greek term meaning chemistry, to fuse or cast a metal. And many people have heard of alchemy as being a medieval superstition of people literally trying to transform lead into gold out of greed. And there are people who were like that, who misinterpreted this tradition to think that they could actually accomplish this feat. But the real depth and knowledge, the spiritual symbol of alchemy, is transforming the lead of the personality or negative states of mind into the gold of the spirit. It's also the work with energy, working with all the energies we have in our body, in our heart, in our mind, so that we can fuse like a metal with divinity. And then lastly, we have psychology. This is the Greek, read from left to right. Psychology in these times is divorced from spirituality. People think psychology is simply, simply the study of the mind, the brain. If you look at the original etymology, psychology is actually something very dynamic. It comes from psyche, logos. Psyche is soul. It is consciousness. It is the essence of a person. It is not just the intellect, because truly in our depth, we are more than just a mind. We have a heart. We have a body. The consciousness is not just thinking. It's the ability to perceive, even beyond thought. So psyche and logos, or logos in its original term, means word, 
You may be familiar with the book of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Greek word is logos. In the beginning was logos. The logos was God, and the logos was God. These are symbols or qualities of being. So what is genuine psychology in its real root? It's how the soul, psyche, through meditation, unites with logos. Very simple. It also has to do with studying the obstacles in our own mind that create conflict for us. So we develop the seed of our potential through these sciences. And we'll explain about these three in synthesis today. So the word seed has a very interesting connotation. A seed is the sexual synthesis of any being. Whether from plants, from animals, from human beings. That seed of a person, of a soul, can be developed very intentionally when we learn how to work with all the energies that we carry within. Not just our heart, our mind, but even our creative potential. That seed, which is sexual, our creative sexual potential, can give birth to a human being. We know this. The seed of a man and a seed of woman can unite to create a child. But people do not know that that very same seed, that energy or power that can create a human being, can create the soul, can fully empower it. Because it is the power of life. It is the most powerful, creative power a human being possesses. It is how all societies run. People are born through the seed. They have life. And just as physically we can have life with this body, the generation of our physical temple, we can also learn to transform the sexual seed through specific practices. Transform that seed into energy. Because creative sexuality is a tremendous power and a powerful responsibility. It is a tremendous responsibility to give birth to a child. It is very serious. But even more so, to give birth to a child within us, our full spiritual development is even greater responsibility, has more power. And we can do that by learning to work with our energies. Some people may be familiar with Buddhism, of Tantra, spiritual union, sexual union, husband and wife, working to connect from a state of purity and mind in order to transform everything that they have into developing their spirituality. This is why all traditions and all religions have really fought and explained that marital union, the love between husband and wife, not in a legal sense or in terms of paperwork, but from a conscious standpoint, has tremendous power, tremendous responsibility. The Bible relates some of these teachings in a very symbolic way, which people have interpreted, again, literally, but 
will explain some of the alchemical significance of these lines. Now to Abraham and his seed, where the promise is made. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, Abraham is one of the patriarchs of Judaism, the founding fathers. His people, the Jews, were promised by divinity that they would receive help. This is the fundamental, literal meaning. But if we look at this in a symbolic way, there's something more interesting. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, meaning individual people, because every person is a seed. When they are a child, they grow, become a human being. But as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So what is that seed? That is mentioned in the book of Galatians. We can look at this image of an elderly man with a son emanating from his genitalia. A book in his hand, a staff of power in his left. This is from the medieval tradition of alchemy. So many alchemists who knew the science of uniting with divinity taught their truths through art. They didn't explain this explicitly because they would face many problems and persecutions, many scandals. So they taught through art. And this is a very, very beautiful image representing an elderly man who is a symbol of our own inner divinity. The figure Jehovah amongst the Jews. He holds a book in his hand referring to study, the need to study oneself, one's life. He also has a staff in his hand representing a weapon, a type of will that is needed in order to achieve genuine religion. We have a son emanating from his sexual organs because just as the ancient peoples knew that the son gives life to all things, they made the connection and knew that our own sexual seed is the power of generation. The son generates all life. In every level, we could not exist on this planet without light. And so the ancients knew that this seed is a type of solar force. It's a solar energy. It's a power that can give life. And even Plato and many Greek masters knew that the ultimate divinity is the sun, the platonic logos. Or like Jesus in the great paintings has a halo of light around his head because he has used his own seed to transform that and to develop the light of the saints. He is a Christmas tree with light, with spirituality. There's a statement by Samuel and Vior in the book The Great Rebellion. He states that the sun, which is a symbol of divinity, has deposited the seeds within the sexual glands of the intellectual animal in order to germinate a human being. Some people get offended when they hear this term. But if you look at the story of Pinocchio, he was a wooden boy. He wanted to become a real, fully developed human being made into the image of divinity. And what is an animal? It comes from the Latin anima, to animate, to have life. And if we look at humanity, we find that all the violence and wars and bloodshed and poverty and affliction is not the result of our own humanity, but that which is animal in us. Anger, 
violence, prostitution, hatred, lust, envy. These are qualities that are animalistic, instinctive. And we all possess those elements. But unfortunately, it's a very difficult thing to see how our own states of mind are the cause of our suffering. These are animal qualities. And because we have the intellect, we can rationalize. We are anima, souls, with intellect. But an intellectual animal is any one of us who has the seed, who can develop into a perfectly enlightened being. Like in this image. And what is a real human being? You can look at the Sanskrit, whom man. Whom means spirit. Man or manas means mind. It is a mind that is united with whom? The spirit. And what is that spirit? Like in the previous image, we saw Jehovah pointing his finger towards Adam, creating the soul, a symbol of creating the perfect being, not a literal history. That represents how the spiritual force of divinity is fully perfected and manifested in us. That is a real human being, human, human, like Jesus, Buddha, Krishna. They fully manifested all the qualities of the spirit in a perfect way. That is a real human being. But when we are criticized and we respond with anger and say very negative things, it indicates to us that we have much from the animal kingdom that is inside. And so science and popular culture likes to defend that which is animal. You see it in our television, in our movies, in our cinemas, in our sports, in our fighting for power, in our politics, in our religions. These are animal qualities. Competition, fighting, debating, arguing, inflicting harm. But a human being is beyond that, has transformed the seed into something perfected. And we can do that by working with our energies through the science of alchemy. Obviously, such seeds can develop or be ultimately lost. Going back to the quote of Jesus in the book of Matthew or the gospel of Krishna. If we want these seeds to develop, it is essential to cooperate with the efforts that the sun, divinity, is making in order to create humans. You have other images in this graphic. A lion beneath the genitalia of this elderly figure. You may be familiar with the Christian tradition of the Lion of Judah. It's a symbol of the strength and power of divinity. You have also figures below who are fighting, grappling each other with swords and weapons, doing acrobatic acts, playing games. That represents all of humanity. People who don't really take spirituality seriously, their conscious life seriously, because they choose to engage in frivolities and wars. So what is the way to escape the circus of humanity, the chaos? Is by studying ourselves, like in this open book, and using our staff, which is a symbol of willpower, of daily effort. So as we're explaining about the seed of generation, we find a very beautiful teaching in the story of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. It is very common knowledge amongst Christians or the belief that 
One is born again through belief. From the old scriptures of or the Gospels, a very famous teaching that is not very well understood. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. People commonly interpret this as baptism, a ceremony or ritual in the church that one is, receives the water of spirituality and is blessed and then is saved. Unfortunately, this type of thinking does not really address the practical problems of our sufferings. We may believe in divinity in an institution or a church. We may be inspired by our groups. and This is all necessary and beautiful. But belief does not change suffering. We continue to suffer whether we think something is true or not. The way that one overcomes suffering is through action, through work. But in a more deeper level, this scripture hides something very interesting that relates to alchemy, spiritual birth, the birth of the soul. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Obviously, people do not need to be taught that how to generate a physical child. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Through the matrimony or union of man and woman, welcoming your birth to a physical child. But that which is born of the Spirit, through the same union, can give birth to the Spirit. But of course, there are very specific procedures involved when the couple works in their marriage or their union. And when I mean marriage, I don't mean papers. But a real marital union is the union of two souls that love one another perfectly, that are selfless and working on themselves and fully investing all of their energy and love and potential, not only for their own benefit, but for the benefit of others. So that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Spirit is a, or birth, is a sexual problem. In order to give birth physically, we need male-female. But Jesus was indicating symbolically how through the same connection, but done with purity and with specific methods, what can give birth to the soul, the spirit. And this is symbolized in some of the Kabbalistic meaning, the language of this scripture, which if you see these letters, this is Hebrew. We can look at the meaning of these individual letters transposed over certain aspects of his explanation. This letter is called Hey. It is related to birth. It's even shaped like a womb. The letter Hey refers to birth, Genesis, the divine feminine. The next letter is water relating to Mem. And mem has two forms. There's an open mem and there is a closed mem. Sometimes in Hebrew, when a letter is at the end of a word or a name, it takes on a different configuration. But it's the same letter, the same meaning. Now, water is mem. 
You have very famous references in the Bible to water. The water of life. The fountain of youth. The waters of Genesis. How the world was made and life came from the waters. Again, the book of Genesis is not literal. A literal history. It refers to the birth of the soul. Those waters are our own sexual fluids. The creative waters of life which when they are conserved and transformed can generate a lot of power to give strength to our spirituality and make us truly warriors. Those who really work out of compassion for others and generate all the beautiful qualities of the soul. So except a man or person be born of water and spirit, and the word spirit relates to this letter called shin. Shin has three prongs. And refers to fire. But not a literal fire. It's a spiritual force. A power. Remember that Moses saw the burning bush. That tree of life. The being, the divine. Our true nature. Inflamed with fire and light. Or Krishna with all those figures and light emanating from him. It's fire. It's a type of energy. It's not a literal fire in the kitchen. It's a fire that gives birth and light and understanding to our life. That fire is contained within our own waters. Because obviously when a couple engages sexually, they're inflamed. The organs are inflamed. There's energy circulating. And the Buddhists call this Tantra. Tantra is Sanskrit for circuitry. This is the circuitry of God. That fire can be conserved and circulated throughout the body and the mind to give youth. That energy which can create a child can rejuvenate the body and the soul, create harmony in every level. So if one is not born of water and the Spirit, one cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is the meaning of to be born again. It is a pure marriage or union. And again, marriage has nothing to do with paperwork. It has to do with love. So if you look at these Hebrew letters, and the science of Kabbalah teaches this very beautifully, these letters can be reorganized in different ways in order to spell different meanings. You use these three letters to spell Hashem, which in Judaism they say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, meaning, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hashem is a reference to the highest divinity amongst the Kabbalists. You also take those letters and switch them around. You spell Moshe, Moses. Moses is a figure in the Bible or was a real person, but can represent something psychological, spiritual. He frees the Jews from this bondage in Egypt, which are psychological parables that teach about freeing the soul from the bondage of suffering. And returning all of the parts of our soul to the promised land. So all this is very interconnected and very interesting. And there are many connections we can draw between this tradition and many others. I'm just providing a very general example that highlights that this is a very intricate and beautiful teaching. Very dynamic. But it's very simple in synthesis. And as I stated, birth is a sexual problem. It is born from the genesis of a 
two human beings, male, female. And Salma Island Vior wrote in The Perfect Matrimony, a seed never germinates because of what a person believes or stops believing. An insect is never born because of what a human being thinks or stops thinking. A man is never born from the parchment of theory. This subject matter is sexual, and in this, the angel is no exception. Unless you be born again of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this is the highest level teaching given in Buddhism, in Christianity, in Sufism, the mystics of Islam. Talk a lot about the love of the soul with divinity. But unfortunately, people like to extrapolate and they don't see the connection that we show the highest love of divinity in one's relationship, which is sexual. We show our love not only just with words, but with connection, because that is how the circuitry of God exists, how the energies flow between male and female. So this is an image of Padma Sambhava from the Buddhist tradition, who is showing the highest teachings of Yoga Tantra. Literally, yoga is union, reunion. There is no greater power or reunion with divinity than in the sexual act. Because man and woman can create a child, they can create life. This is Padmasambhava with his consort, his wife. And he explained that in order to enter the highest teaching, individuals must be prepared through a lot of work and meditation on themselves. Because the obvious difficulty of sexual connection is having that energy build up and losing it. So the foundation of all traditions of meditation always taught chastity. Of course, it's a very misunderstood science today. People think of chastity as simply meaning abstention from sex. But chastity has to do with purity. It means immaculateness, purity. So by conserving that power, one can transform it raise it through the body, the different centers of energy in ourselves, in our mind, our psyche. And this is how spiritual birth occurs, by working with that energy. In the book of John, chapter 3, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So the essential component is that the seed remains inside That energy is never let out, whether it's to procreate a child or for simple animal pleasure. So it's a very specific procedure. That seed is never lost. Instead, it is transformed into energy through certain exercises and prayers. It is done without tremendous sense of respect and love and purity and honor. Lastly, we'll talk a little bit about psychology. So we mentioned a little bit about Kabbalah, the Hebrew letters. We also talked about the science of alchemy, fusing oneself with divinity, working with our most vital principles. In these times, there is a predisposition to believe that we are the intellect, we are the mind. Because we think, we rationalize, we conceptualize. But we emphasize that the mind is not our genuine identity. It is not really the full essence of what we are. 
Because we have perception even before thought. But in these times, people tend to identify very much with the intellect, with thinking, with concepts and rationalization. Because in the West especially, that is the foundation of our culture. We're very intellectual people. So we do use the intellect for our spiritual studies, and we need it. We need it to exist in this society. But it is not the sum total of what an individual is. Consciousness is very different from mind. Consciousness is the ability to perceive, to know, to understand. And we can understand things without having to think. Very evidenced by certain experiences of businessmen who go to meetings, as an example, and they think and they think and they think, trying to argue out a problem to solve a solution. But many of them become tired and they can't figure out what they need to do for a certain proposal. They take a break for five minutes, don't think of anything, and suddenly they may get an understanding. People come back to the meeting rejuvenated, energized. It's a concrete example that can reflect something in our spiritual life. Understanding doesn't have to be intellectual. A concept, a way of thinking. The mind is not the sum total of what we are. If we put our hand on a hot stove, we burn our hand, we retract in pain. And only later do we have the thought, that really hurt. Instead, we had consciousness of the experience and we reacted, we understood the problem where we got injured. And then we thought later about, well, I shouldn't do that again. This actually shows us that the intellect is the slowest aspect of a person. It's not the quickest. It's actually not the most divine either. It's actually not divine at all. It's just a machine. An intellect can have understanding of concepts. It stores information and then it gives back. We can learn to use the mind in a spiritual way, in a conscious way, in an intuitive way. But the intellect has also been used to feed qualities like anger and resentment. Anger has its own logic, fear its own logic, ways of thinking. And so these qualities of mind, again, are animalistic, which is allegorized in the story of Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He's representing, or was representing in that act, how our own inner divinity must conquer the mind. And this is what we attempt and practice in our meditations. Don't think so much. Don't worry so much. Don't daydream. Don't fantasize, but just simply be aware and attentive. As we begin our practices of meditation today, we were just doing relaxation, very basic practice in which we just become aware of our body because most times we go through our day unaware of even our breathing or circulation. You may have found that when you're starting to concentrate on certain parts of the body, you may start to daydream or think about other things. It means that the mind is not in control, that the mind is riding us instead of we ourselves riding the donkey because the mind is like a donkey. It's an animal. It can be tamed or it can be wild. And anyone who begins to practice meditation realizes that the mind in the beginning is very chaotic. It could be a very disconcerting realization to make. But it is not a means of or a reason to stop practicing. It just We're learning about what our state of mind is. We're just not cognizant of that fact on a daily basis. Because we tend to be very unconscious in a spiritual sense. We don't really are aware of 
the full totality of our life. So there is a concept of I think, therefore I am. And this is from the famous French philosopher Descartes. So anyone of us who study philosophy at universities really takes a lot of time to emphasize that I think, therefore I am. That the intellect is somehow our true identity. But according to Sam Island Vior in his book Ignis Rose, he mentions that this concept is completely false because the true man, the true divinity in us is called the innermost. And our inner divinity does not think. He simply knows. Our divinity sees and observes and understands all things. It's a state of consciousness. The mind thinks, not the innermost, our innermost true self. In its current state of evolution, the human mind is the animal that we carry within. So we can look in our own lives to see examples of this, where the mind is animalistic. We can even look on the news. Again, people committing acts of violence which are really cruel, inhumane, we say, demonic. The innermost does not think or need to think because he is omniscient. He sees and understands all things. We also have a quote from the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Of course, people think that one has to believe in Jesus and that one is saved because he is the way, the truth, and the life. But symbolically, Christ, divinity, was speaking through him, saying that only through your own inner divinity can you reach your inner true development, your potential. No man cometh unto the Father, which is a symbol of our own inner divinity, the innermost, we can say, but by me. And Christ is an energy. Christ is the seed, a force, which can give birth to our soul. So as we're talking about alchemy, we give birth to the soul through that energy when we learn to work with it. And lastly, we'll conclude with a teaching from the story of Pinocchio to kind of circle back. There's a very, very famous part of the story in which Pinocchio, he is going to school. And the blue fairy, a symbol of the divine feminine, is teaching him, telling him, Go to school and learn. It's a symbol of how we go to a certain school or group or meditative school and learn this type of knowledge, how to transform ourselves. That blue fairy, the divine feminine, has been called many names in different traditions, symbolized by Mother Mary, Athena amongst the Greeks, Kali, Durga amongst the Hindus, a symbol of our own creative forces that is feminine inside and which can help any meditator achieve genuine religion. So Pinocchio is going to school and then he is confronted by a friend who says, why go to school? Join me. Come to the land of play where we can play all day and never work. And Pinocchio is tempted. He goes and eventually goes to this place where eventually he is transformed into a donkey. Of course, later... I believe even in the film by Disney, which does a very good job of depicting this, in the book, he gets out of that state eventually. He, does, he has to do a lot of work to reverse that. But it's a symbol of how in life we, we come to any kind of school of meditation that teaches us how to change. And yet we then get distracted. Our friends say, come out to the bar and drink with me or come see this movie or let's, 
go to the land of play in a figurative sense. Television or whatever distracts us from attempting the practice of meditation so that we can be more introspective and spiritual, profound. And it's a type of work because there are a lot of temptations in this society. Our Western society is a land of distraction. Sports, media, television, news. We tend to saturate our whole life with all these things which pull our attention away and makes us very, very distracted. And so he becomes a donkey, but eventually he gets out with the help of the blue fairy, his divine mother, we can say. And the divine mother in Hinduism is a symbol of our own being, an aspect of our divinity. So divinity is not just male. It's represented as a masculine projective force, but also as a receptive and feminine. There's a duality there. And we'll talk more about that in our studies of Kabbalah. And so we have a teaching that from the book Igneous Rose. The innermost, our own inner spirit, our divinity, must flagellate the mind with a terrific whip of willpower. And flagellation, again, is not literal here. But it's a recrimination, meaning we start to act in a mental state of anger in a certain situation or crisis. We want to react a certain way. But in that moment, we use our will and our awareness, our attention, not to act on that type of behavior so that we don't cause harm for ourselves or for others. That's a type of willpower. Again, if you look back at the image of the old man with a book in his hand and a staff, he has a staff in his hand and the sun in his genitalia. That staff is a symbol of will, which is why all the shepherds in the Bible had staffs, a symbol of willpower, spiritual willpower. The one who identifies with the mind falls into the abyss one who enters into greater states of suffering. Not only just in some dystopian reality or hell realm, according to religion, official religion, but in our own existence. So there are different levels here. We can find that if we act on negative states of mind, we suffer. As the Buddha taught in the Dhammapada, mind precedes phenomena. We become what we think. If we think wrong and harm and evil, then the result will be harm for ourselves and others. But if we enact virtuous qualities of mind, positive qualities of mind, we reap the benefits. And other people obviously benefit too. The mind is a donkey upon which we must ride in order to enter the heavenly Jerusalem. And the quote from Carlos Collodi from the book Pinocchio, boys who do nothing but play end up turning into donkeys. So what is a donkey? It's a stubborn animal. And you may find that in meditation that the body is stubborn. The mind is stubborn. We sit to adopt a posture or an asana and to relax, and yet we start thinking of other things. We start daydreaming of other things. The body wants to shift and move. We want to adjust ourselves. We feel tension or pain. But if we're always moving in our posture, we're not actually meditating. This is why a great Swami from the Hindu tradition of yoga, Swami Shivananda, said, your asana, your posture, should be like a mountain, firm, but relaxed. We don't move. And if you resolve in yourself in the beginning, don't move. You'll find that your mind starts thinking of other things, or your body wants to move. You have an itch, you have a pain in your neck. You want to adjust yourself. That shows us that the body is like a donkey. It's an animal. You've got to train it. The mind, likewise. And sometimes even our emotions, too. Negativity is animalistic. So we hope to conclude with the fact that the seed of our soul can develop through these three sciences, alchemy, Kabbalah, 
in psychology because that seed can become a tree of life when it is intentionally nourished and developed. Do you have any questions? Where would you put astrology in all this? Sure. Sure. Uh, for those who are not familiar with astrology, it is the ancient science of the stars. Astros, logos. Astros meaning heavens or stars. Logos meaning divinity. We can say that astrology permeates all three sciences. In the original sense, or the interpretations of astrology, that there are 12 zodiacal signs that one is born in. According to Hindu tradition, one is born in a different zodiacal sign in each life, if you studied reincarnation and what those concepts entail. But the zodiac has to do with certain influences in the mind, the heart, the personality, or spirituality too. There are different levels of influences from nature and the cosmos that influence a person. Of course, astrology today is, very, is a caricature, very divorced from a lot of the ancient roots and sciences that these astrologers actually knew. Astrology, in its real sense, is astros logos, how the soul unites with the divinity of the stars. So every star, every planet, has its own intelligences, its own divinities. Real astrology is when, in a state of meditation, we can let the body go, go to sleep, and the consciousness can awaken in what's called the internal dimensions. Some people call it dreams, astral projection, dream yoga, out-of-body experiences. And this is something that you can experience for yourself and provoke at will if you seriously practice this. And in that way, in those dimensions known as the tree of life, again, the tree of life is a symbol of different levels of dimensions of nature that are psychological, spiritual, internal. And you can have those experiences in which your body is abandoned and you as a soul are in those planes. Some people call it the astral plane, world of dreams. And then in that state, you can, with a profound clarity and awareness, you can call upon divinity. This is symbolized in Moses talking to God on Mount Sinai. What is a mountain? It's a symbol of climbing that tree of life in meditation. Very difficult path, but you can reach the peak, those higher levels of consciousness in those states, and then you can call upon for help in those vivid, conscious, illuminated dreams, lucid dreams, people call it. In that way, you can get help from all the divinities of the stars. And if I'm telling you this, it's because this is what I do regularly in my own practices, receive help. And anyone can do this because we all have a seed that can develop into that potential. Astrology relates with Kabbalah because when we receive that wisdom from any divinity, help for our physical life, we're performing Kabbalah, Kabel, to receive. But also we can learn to have those experiences more regularly by working in alchemy which is the science of the perfect matrimony, which is a book written by Sam Island Vior, who's the, one of the founders of this tradition that we study, along with many of the books that we have. So astrology is not just the study of charts. Memorizing complicated glyphs and numbers, which can have very interesting correlations to our life, or not. But more profoundly, real astrology is when we develop our seed through these methods, these three sciences, so that we could receive help from the stars, literally, from heaven. Heaven's not a physical place, but a state of consciousness. And you can awaken in the dream state, no longer be projecting your dreams, your mind, onto that 
dimension, but you can see things as they are. It's not a vague or amorphous dimension, but it's a material world. Just succumb to or manifested by different levels of or laws of nature. It's not physical or material like this pl physical plane. It's something different. But that's real astrology. You can talk with the divinity of the stars. And we have a book available called Practical Astrology who can, with the different practices that you can use for each zodiacal sign during certain times of the month where you can experience these things for yourself, receive help from those different influences. Any other questions? So if you're interested, I invite you to see our websites, uh, chicagonosis.org. Gnosis is spelled G-N-O-S-I-S. -S. You also can visit gnosticteachings.org, um, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, teachings.org, and you'll find a lot of resources that teach this science in a very profound way. We have many courses available. The books that we have for sale here are also available online. You can also read every book, every chapter online. But if you want a hard copy, you can always purchase from here too. And everything that we teach here is practical. You don't have to believe in any of it. We don't recommend that you believe in any of it, but in a state of neutrality, experiment and practice and see the results. And as you see results in yourself... That develops what we call genuine faith. People in these times confuse faith and belief. Faith is real knowledge more and from experience. When you know from conscious experience that putting your hand on a hot stove burns you, you have faith that if you put your hand on the hot stove, you're going to get burned. It's a concrete experience. But even with those mystical experiences that all the saints of the different traditions taught, you can have that faith too. And you know from a state of lucidity and consciousness, what those realities are. And then you don't have to believe in anything. Belief doesn't change anyone. So again, you also are free to take some flyers and pamphlets if you're interested. We have the books available too. But uh, I thank you all for coming. You're welcome. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.